welcome to the Joyful Nourishment Podcast, a place for conversations around all things food, eating, body image and nourishment. Here we'll explore and unpack all the things that gets in the way of us having a kind, compassionate relationship with food and eating in our bodies and also how we can find our way back to joyful nourishment in our everyday lives. I'm your host, Lynn Thorstensen, a registered nutrition therapist and body image coach based in the west of Ireland, and I am so glad that you're here. Hi, and welcome to the very first episode of this podcast, Joyful Nourishment, and I am so grateful that you're here. I have to say that it feels a little bit um, I don't know, nerve-wracking or um, that I am a little bit, you know, that I have some trepidation, that it feels a little bit vulnerable to put my voice and my work out there in the world with people like you listening in to the solo episodes and the conversations that I've had with guests that I I'm going to share with you over the coming weeks but I'm also actually quite excited I have been thinking about starting a podcast for a couple of years now and the time hasn't been there or the timing wasn't right but now I feel that it is right and the time is right and that it is this is a project that I really want to spend some time and energy on so Yeah, I don't really know where it's going to take us. Um, I have 10 episodes, including this one, lined up for you. A handful of solo episodes with me and five episodes with guests that I have spoken to who are based either in Ireland or the UK um, from the fields of nutrition, psychology, psychotherapy. And that's you know, works in the field, helping people with food eating and body image issues, just like I do. And, you know, different viewpoints, even though we're kind of talking around the same topic, but I'm hoping that you're going to get loads out of those two, because I really did when I sat down and had the conversations with my friends and colleagues, and I'm really looking forward to share these with you. But as we begin this venture, and I'm hoping that you're coming along for this ride with me, when I sat down and thought about who is this for, what do I want with this, and what would I like you to get? And my intention with this podcast is to help as many people as possible to create or heal or repair the relationship with food eating and their bodies. That's something I'm incredibly passionate about. It's what I've dedicated my work and career life to. It is something that really lights me up. And it's something that I I also truly believe that we all deserve. No, nobody chooses to struggle with food and eating and their body image. And everybody who does struggle deserves support and healing and to be free from that and to be able to live their lives in bodies that they are feel content um, to take care of and where they have freedom and peace around food and eating, where it's not something that takes up all of your thinking space or all of your waking time, but it is something that is mostly joyful, that is something that um, 
can bring you nourishment in every form. So I chose to call this podcast Joyful Nourishment because it feels like the antidote to a lot of the topics and conversations that we're about to have here. The other intention that I also have with this project and this um, adventure or venture, whatever you want to call it, is that I would like us to create some conversations and some community around this because it can be such a lonely experience to, ex to struggle around food and eating. We often do it in isolation. There's so much shame and embarrassment and guilt associated with it. And it takes a lot of courage to reach out and ask for support and help, or even to admit to ourselves if we're actually struggling. And because sometimes, you know, if this is something we've experienced for a long time, it becomes really normalized. And this is kind of like it feels like it's part of what we do and it's hard maybe to imagine that there is another way of being and living and relating to food and eating so I'm hoping that we can have some conversations uh, I'd imagine a lot of the conversations would happen over in my Substack community Joyful Nourishment so if you're not there already please come and join me there I will put a link to um, to the community in the show notes and this podcast is really for you if you're looking to break free from dieting, if you're looking to find some more flexibility and freedom around eating and to feel better in your body without having to change it from the outside. So I think that's I think if that's you, you're welcome. If that's not you and you're still curious about this topic, um, you're also welcome. And what I'm hoping that you're going to leave with after listening to one episode or all of the episodes in the series like I said I have 10 of them lined up for this season and if you keep supporting it I am hoping that there will be more after this season but this is what we have to look forward for now over the coming weeks so what I'm hoping is that you will leave feeling hopeful that your relationship with food and eating in your body can get better, that it can be different, that it can be more peaceful, more nourishing. I'm also hoping that you learn something from me or from any of my guests that you can apply in your everyday life so that you can have and develop and grow and heal, um, you know, to have a kinder relationship with food in your body. In this particular episode, as we start, I wanted to share a little bit about my own story with you so that you get a better sense of who I am and why I'm so passionate about helping people heal their relationship with food eating and their bodies. I, I think it's kind of interesting to put this out here and I'm not going to really share anything here that I haven't written about and shared before. What I think is interesting is and putting this out here into the ether for you to listen to, have an opinion on and think is that when we're in the therapeutic space, it's often kind of discouraged to do self-disclosure. And there's a reason for that. And it's because in the therapeutic space, it's your space. It's not about me or, or any other coach or therapist. But when we're blogging or we're podcasting or YouTubing or creating conversations around on social media, we get to decide for ourselves. And I feel like I get to decide as a practitioner uh, and as a person, as a human, what I want to share and not share. And I feel like it's important to 
you know, for you to maybe know a little bit more about me, who am I, the person behind this podcast and this work. And I'm okay with it. I don't have any shame um, in my own story around food and eating. And I think it can be helpful to know that we're not alone. Because when I was in the midst of it, I really didn't know anybody else who thought um, like me about food, who had a relationship that was so um, discombobulated, quite painful actually, around food and eating. I just felt like I must be the only one. Everybody else seems to have their shit together around food. And why am I broken? And why can't I stick to any diets that I'm trying? And why is it so hard? And what's wrong with my body and why, you know, and I don't like it and I hate it and I wish it was different. All of those things felt, it felt like such an isolating experience. And this is going back maybe not quite 20 years. Well, actually it's more than 20 years now when I first developed eating issues and there was nobody, I didn't know anybody. I didn't really tell anybody as such either. And nobody, to be honest, didn't seem to pick up on it or ask me uh, was I okay and I wish somebody had had done that maybe and maybe that I would have lessened the burden a bit but they didn't and I did eventually make it through on my own um, which made the journey so much longer but I just didn't even know where to ask for help or what kind of support would be helpful because I didn't even know I think what was wrong it's it's almost like it's been later on when I've been on my professional trajectory and learning journey that I have been able to see and piece things together for myself, why things maybe turn out the way they did, what was going on, the things that I didn't see or didn't understand. But now I can put my professional hat on and have a bit more understanding of why things were the way they were and things that would have been helpful but slowly and surely a part of me I think that just was so determined and so much longing for something to be different in my relationship with food um, I think eventually got me through but it's been many rounds and roundabouts to get to a place today where I feel I'm, I'm well well into uh, to my recovery and that and very solid in it but at the same time, knowing that I cannot do any kinds of restrictive diets without that having a de detrimental effect on my mental well-being and even my physical health. So that's kind of where I want to start from. And I'm going to talk a little bit about my personal journey and my personal relationship with food and where I was at. And then also... um how I then how this this is actually part of what led me to become a nutritionist in the first place but then from my initial training in nutritional therapy on to becoming a weight inclusive non-diet practitioner and really specializing in working with people or in their relationship with food eating in their bodies my story begins and you might have guessed from some of my accent that it's a little bit mixed up. I grew up in a small um, village in the countryside in the south of Sweden. And I have a, a lovely mom and a dad. And I have a, a baby brother who is now much taller than me. And 
he's no baby anymore. He's got a family on his own. And I think, you know, my childhood was was good, as good as it can be. I have very loving parents. It was very calm and I grew up in a very safe um, environment. It's countryside. I go visit my dad now and it's just, it's lovely. It's very peaceful. There's not that much happening there, to be honest. I think when I have been exploring my journey is that we we joke about this in my family. So my mother was very health conscious when I was born in the early um, 1980s. And she, you know, I'm the first firstborn, the eldest. And, you know, she was doing the best she could. And she was trying to give me the, everything the best. So my mom has her own dieting history. But I'm not going to go into that here. That's not my story. But she, you know, she... Yeah, I wasn't really allowed sweet things other than naturally sweet things like raisins and fruits and stuff like that until I was about three when one of my childminders felt a bit sorry for me and gave me some sweet. And I'm one of these people that have a sweet tooth. I love sweet things. It just gives me a buzz. You know, I love the taste of it. And we joke like I said in my family, that those first three years that I didn't give get any, I have to spend the next 20 to make up for that. But I think what I do know now, looking back, is that even though this was, um, I was so young, it wasn't a restriction that I was aware of at the time. But as I got older, we were living in a household that we didn't have soft drinks on your special occasions. We didn't have like white sliced pans only on special occasions. We only have, you know, sweets or candy on Fridays. And that there was a kind of um, a sort of a sub kind of restrictive there. Not intentionally. I don't think I didn't. I, I couldn't say that I named it um, as a child that I was restrictive, but I do restricted with from sweets but I do know now when I look back that some accessibility was definitely limited and when I became when it became more accessible for me when I went to high school and secondary school in the nearby town and I had some of my own pocket money I was so excited to go to the shop and buy my sweets for myself and I would eat them all and so that was there. I was just so excited that I was like, oh, I can do this. Like it was the accessibility and the availability was quite exciting. And I think that wouldn't be wouldn't have been there if we had, if it was a little bit more relaxed at home. And there was there was times when I stole sweets from my brother because he wasn't particularly interested and he wasn't restricted in the way that I had been. So I don't know. I'm not saying that she didn't do the right thing or, the, or that she did the wrong thing. But I do believe that restriction often have unintended consequences. And the things that aren't accessible just have a different glow about them when they become accessible. And then they were in this space of like, well, I have to eat it all now because who knows when it's going to be allowed or access um, when I'm going to be able to access it again. So you know these kind of these things were there and again I enjoyed the flavor of it I enjoyed the taste it was just delicious and 
and lovely. So I loved sweets. I, I loved the taste of it. I loved eating it. And in one sense, I wasn't too concerned about that when I was growing up. I've lived in a smaller body. Um, you know, I have never experienced weight depression, weight stigma. And I still grew up with a dieting parent, constant messages of thin being the thing that we should be. And what happened was that I had a friend around this time, I think I was in my mid-teens, who I don't really know how this happened, but I have these memories of the two of us sitting in the back of the bus discussing ways that we could, you know, manipulate food, restrict food. And I don't, I don't even know where that came from. But what I do know is my body changed I, when I was a teenager, as they do. I went from being a child to a teenager through puberty, and part of that was weight gain. And I think part of that was what's triggered this kind of idea that my body is wrong. And that I, I, I remember myself and my friend, my friend spent a lot of time talking about it. And she did subsequently go on to develop a um, full-blown restrictive eating disorder that she, I think, is still working in recovery on. My body was not a body that could stick to restriction for very long. So I developed binge eating and emotional eating. And it wasn't until somebody commented on, on my weight. And again, this was not something that I had a memory of until I did an exercise in the training I did some years ago, looking at an eating timeline. So looking at 10 defining moments around food that I remembered and food or my body that had stood out. And these could be like difficult memories or they could be good memories. Like when we, for example, enjoying um, foods that were specifically served at birthdays or by a specific person or something like this. But when I did that exercise, there was a memory that stood out to me when I was about 16, I think. And I used to, I was a horsey girl. I used to ride racehorses for a long time. And there was my 16 year old self and somebody who I think was envious of me told me that somebody else, my boss had told, had told them that I was too heavy, heavy to ride my favorite racehorse was a young horse. And I, I don't think this was actually true. None of it. But the person said it, that I was or, or anything. But that stood out at that time as a kind of a pivotal moment where I decided that I needed to do something about it. And I started my first proper diet then, or I started restricting food. And this kind of went on um, for a while. And I can't remember, I don't know how much my body actually changed. I don't have a very good perception of my body. Um, even sometimes to this day, it can be a bit elusive because it depends on how I feel about it. From then on, so from about 16 into my mid-late 20s, my I was either on a diet, off a diet, I was binge eating, I was restricting, I was trying to cut things out, I couldn't stick to it, I was feeling really hopeless, I was um I had jobs that were highly stressful. And I was trying to not eat, eat that much at all. And I was working outdoors in quite physically demanding jobs. 
wasn't eating enough. I had low energy. I wasn't sleeping well. And my blood sugar was really all over the place. And my eating was all over the place. And I was constantly thinking about food all the time. And this is what brought me to nutrition as a second career choice. So when I was in my mid-20s, I decided that it could be good to get uh, some kind of education. I had been living in Ireland for about five or six years at this point, And I was working with horses. I worked in racing stables and stud farms. And I was quite enjoying it, but it is a very physically demanding job. And I knew that I would want a different career by the time I got into my mid-30s or even my uh, 40s, which is sort of where I'm finding myself now. I just I was looking for a career change. I just couldn't figure out what it is I wanted to do. So then fast forward to 2006, I had been living and working in Australia for about a year. And at the end of my trip, I was about to come back and I was still looking for this thing that was going to be my new career. And myself and my friend at the time, we went up to the Whitsundays. We were at the place called Hamilton Island, and maybe some of you have been on it. And I decided I had some ongoing digestive issues as well around this time. And I decided to go and visit this naturopath. And what happened was I went into his room and very nice guy. And I just remember thinking to myself, oh, I could do this. It was so wild. But I also had an interest in natural healing. I had, of course, I had spent a lot of time and money on all sorts of nutrition and diet books. And I was thinking, hmm, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the thing. And before I left, I was Googling and searching for different trainings um how to train and become a nutritionist and then what happened I left Australia I went back to Sweden I did end up back in Ireland and I was still working with the horses and I was kind of floating around between different things and a following year then in 2007 I revisited training because things had stabilized a little bit more I had a place to live I was working on a in a regular job but still with the horses on the stud farm but um an opportunity to join a training a three-year nutrition training and I did and I remember the girl who was um who I met to learn some more about the training said to me and I still wasn't sure though because it was a big commitment three years and she said well imagine you could be sitting here next year and you could have one year done and I think that's what sold it to me so I love the training in nutrition and it was really interesting to learn all about food nutrients the power of plants some herbs supplements all the different things and how this is interrelated with our health and that said I think looking back now nearly 15 years later maybe I would question some of the things or maybe I don't think I'm quite the same about everything anymore but I think that's that's normal you know right your opinions and your learnings evolve over time but one of the things I remember thinking at the time when I started my training back in 2007 which is a good while ago now was that now I would learn to eat quote-unquote properly so I would never have to diet again 
And then that evolved into kind of around this time as well. I had I had hit, definitely hit diet rock bottom. When I came back from Australia, I was like, I can't do it anymore. But I also decided at that time, I had this kind of epiphany. Why am I handing over so much power to the scales? Why am I handing over my sense of happiness to this innate object? And maybe I had started reading some non-diet books or, or some, I can't remember because I feel like I've read most of those books um, with my professional hat on. But that's what I did. I decided no more weighing. Forget about it. My happiness has to come from a different place because I was obsessed with this case. I was on and off it every day and it was not, it was, it was just not making me happy. Neither was my body getting smaller anyway. So it was just misery full stop. So I decided that's it. I won't get on, get on the scale. And at the time of this recording, that's over 15 years ago. And I'd say I can count in the one hand that I have been on a scale since. It's that the right thing? I don't know. For me, it has been the right thing. And I could get on it now and I can look at the number and then kind of go, okay. And at the same time, I think there's still a part of me that's holding on to this magic number that I had for all of those years, which was probably some magic number that I weighed when I was about 14, like pre-puberty, which is completely unrealistic. But also it feels like what the number on the scale is for me today, it matters less because what matters is how I feel in my body, how my life is, and the freedom I have. But that was that was a that was another catalyst moment for me in my healing to just let go of that number, to just work towards making peace with food, to learn to give myself permission to eat the stuff that I the food I wanted and to really work towards attuning to my own hunger and fullness cues that I had spent probably a good decade trying to override both on either extreme and I don't think this has been easy it's taken me many years and when I look back over my journey I can see that there was times when things were better then there was another layer of things. Then I've looked back and goes, oh God, I was still doing those behaviors, even though at the time I would consider myself to actually be in a pretty good place and not, you know, restricting directly, not binging directly, but still, you know, maybe engaging in body checking behaviors or measuring my body and stuff like that, even if I wasn't weighing myself. And slowly over time, Things are evolving. And I can even feel now that sometimes I'm like, I get in a swimsuit. I don't, I don't love what my body looks like, but I can get in it and I can be present with my body and, and the experiences that being present in my body allows me to have, say being in the sea, swimming or making love or anything along those lines, enjoying some delicious food or taking in beautiful view somewhere or a sunset I can really appreciate that today without feeling preoccupied with my body and maybe some of this also comes with um the wisdom of living longer I don't know but it's been such a subtle process I think observing it over time and and it's only I feel it's only like when you look back sometimes you can see how far you've come because 
because it's just like the shifts are small and it's been over a longer period of time. So the things that I think I've learned for myself on my own personal journey of recovery is that having the perfect body doesn't make me happy or eating perfectly didn't make my body perfect in any sense. I'm not a good person when I eat quote unquote good foods. And I'm not a bad first person when I eat quote unquote bad foods. Letting go of these things and tuning into what, what feels nourishing, what is punishing, what, what is enjoyable, what are my values? Those things over time has helped me let go of any um, labels or restriction that then just led to, to binging. And it's also helped me let go of any guilt and shame from experiencing this. And that really feels so good. And I would love for, for everyone to experience that, particularly if you're currently struggling with food and eating and your body. So that's my personal journey. And then my professional journey. So I graduated from my original nutrition training back in 2010. And ever since then, I have continued to do more courses and personal professional development and personal development as well. Like there's always more. And if you're somebody who loves learning, it's really hard to stop. Like there's always more. And of course, my working with clients, hundreds of clients over the years, has also given me lots and lots of learnings. And I think the client work is, it's, has been teaching me more things that you can't really learn from from the books but I'm so grateful for all of that but that said I didn't start off as a weight inclusive nutrition therapist I had and this is confession time I had a um I had a um one of my first business cards said lose weight without dieting and I think that's that was before I understood that a dieting doesn't work and b even if you're not dieting but you're even if you're eating quote-unquote well and like let's call that the definition like well a varied diet and adequately and you're moving your bodies in ways that feel good that doesn't just mean that everybody's going to lose weight even if they're set on a on a higher BMI, which is bullshit anyway, or even if their bodies don't kind of look like the societal standards of beauty, say, it just doesn't happen that way. Our bodies do what they want to do. And the weight is not a definition of health. But I, I, I don't think I, I didn't, I didn't know that at a time. I didn't understand. I just thought like, well, if you do the right things, you just, you will lose weight, but actually it doesn't work like that for everybody. And it doesn't mean that you can't engage in those health promoting behaviors, like moving your body and adequately eating a wide variety of food, reducing your stress, you know, taking care of your sleep. They will have an impact. Um, if that is something you're struggling with and, and you're feeling better, like they will, they will do that regardless of any weight changes that might occur. Then there is a thing that I didn't understand either was that if we are promoting weight loss, even with the intention of health or goodwill, is that we are inadvertently contributing to upholding the body hierarchies 
of saying that thinner bodies are better than bigger bodies. And for me, when I understood that, and that that's also is inadvertently upholding the underlying weight oppression and weight stigma by doing, by upholding this body hierarchy was like a kind of a turning point. It's like, when I understood that, that was it for me. As I, I, that's incongruent with my values, my both my personal and professional values, and I just couldn't participate in that. So, and this was around the time I learned about health at every size. And I think around that time, it also had my last client that came to me for weight loss that I was weighing. And then somewhere along the line, both of us felt really distressed by her getting on the scales. And I'm like, why am I doing it? I don't do this to myself. And she was, it wasn't helpful for her. That was quite clear. And I, I was like, I'm so done with this. So I'm, that was, that was it. I think like when we are maybe coming, you know, a lot of training in the healthcare space, whether it's nutrition, therapy, medicine, it is weight centric. And most of us kind of at some point maybe realize or have realized for ourselves that this doesn't like focusing on weight doesn't work. But then it's so entangled with that weight and health is supposed to be the same thing, which they're not, that we have to disentangle ourselves from that. And I do believe that we can support people health without focusing on weight. And it would be so great if we could just drop it and not think about, just take the focus off the scale. Now, there is a whole industry that's also built up around focusing on weight and making bodies smaller at all costs. And there's people that make a lot of money on that, on products, surgeries, medications, um, where it's not really about health, it's about thinness. That makes it harder, I think. It makes it much harder to divest from that. It's a conscious, ongoing commitment to divest from, from diet culture and from dieting. But it is possible, and I think it's really necessary if we want to heal our relationship um, with food and eating. And at the same time, it's okay to hold that ambivalence too for as long as is necessary. I am somebody who subscribes to the health at every size paradigm. I work from a weight inclusive lens, and I don't prescribe weight loss or support support people with intentional weight loss pursuits in my practice. And the reason also, another reason, apart from the ones I've already mentioned, is that I don't do this because they wouldn't, for me, it's unethical to do that when I'm also supporting people with um, eating disorders or disordered eating, where dieting is one of the leading causes that causes eating disorders or disordered eating. So like, it would just be really unethical to on one hand, work and do the work that can be really harmful and try to help other people recover from that. It just, for me, that I just can't, that just, it just feels so unethical that it's not a place I want to go in. And I do respect if people do want to lose weight, um, but I'm not the person for you if that's kind of, if that's something that is a goal you have, I'm not the person to help you get there with that goal. That said, if you want to lose weight, but you know you can't dieting and you can't be dieting anymore, you don't want to diet, that's okay. We can hold that ambivalence together. What I also learned um, when you move into the non-diet weight inclusive space is that it opens up the space of 
of a lot of these things also being social justice issues and that is set in the context of larger body liberation around race, gender, sexual orientation, um, my religious background, size, health status, and like how the system has an impact on this and how the system is marginalizing different identities to, um, depending on how they present or uh, what groups, minority groups they belong to. And that is something that I feel it's really important to acknowledge and was another thing that is contributing to why I feel like I just can't, I can't partake in, in, in upholding these hierarchies. I do fundamentally believe that all bodies are worthy of love and care. So I don't want to be partaking in that. I, I really want to partake in movements that are striving for all bodies to be included and be treated with respect and care and dignity that they deserve. So it's been it's been a kind of an ongoing professional journey in making the shift. Uh, there's a lot of stories, I think, with people who are working in the wage inclusive space who have come from weight centric practices. And um, I think that's really common. I think it's OK to talk about that. And I think a lot of us make choices along the way. Um, and we might have to do some repair when we realize like actually some of the stuff that we were taught or that we learned or that we practiced in the past were harmful. And, you know, we might have to sit with that. But I, I am so grateful that I have had these opportunities to learn from peers, colleagues and um, teachers around the, you know, weight inclusive work. And that there's so many more people in Ireland as well talking about it today. Because when I first came across it and I came across the intuitive eating and the intuitive eating book back in, I think, 2014, so nearly 10 years ago, I felt so lonely. I didn't know that there was any other people who thought like me. And now there is a, a nice little community of weight inclusive um practitioners growing in Ireland or at least we are seeing each other and being able to connect and to one another and know that there's other people who are out there who are kind of practicing outside the wheat centric norm and it just feels a little bit less lonely so that's yeah I'm so grateful for that too the final thing I want to say here as well as I'm bringing this episode this very first one of joyful nourishment to a conclusion is that I am somebody who lives with thin privilege. I live in a smaller body. It's not very small, but it's not very big either. I'm straight size. I don't have, I can shop in most, most places. Um, I, don't, I, haven't, I don't have any lived experience of being in a marginalized body. And I am really immensely grateful for, for to be learning from those that do so I can continue to learn and do better. Uh, in order to minimize any unintended harm and hopefully be this part of the collective that chip away at breaking down these oppressive structures and continuing to reimagine something that's new, something that's fair and something that's so much um, inclusive. Because I believe the diet culture weight stigma really hurts all of us, but they are proportionally more harmful to those who are most marginalized. Um, and particular when they can mean denial of life-affirming care. And I think we can really all do better.
As I end today and this very first episode of the podcast, I want to also thank some of my teachers from today that I have had the privilege of learning with so far. And this is a good practice that I learned from one of my teachers many years ago to give thanks to your own lineage of teachers and in so doing also their lineage of teachers. So some of the people that I list out here are people that I have an opportunity to train with, that I have learned from their work, that I have been mentored with, and uh, just have the opportunity to know as friends and colleagues as well. So I want to say big thanks to Jenna Minnick, Fiona Sutherland, Marcy Evans, Emma Murphy, Tracy Brown, Michelle O'Brien, Migret Fletcher, and people whose work and whose written work that I really adore is Judith Matz, Harriet Brown, Jella Holland, Jenna Hollenstein, Heller Kenevy and Dana Sturtevant, Evelyn Tribble and Lisa Resch, of course, Arby Gordon, Tara Brack, Christine F., Jack Hornfield, Pema Shudron, Jan Chosen Bays, and many, many others. Like there's so many people that do such amazing work. And I am incredibly grateful to be learning from all of these people as well as all the many hundreds of clients that I've had the privilege to work with so far because you're all brave and courageous spirits who've taught me so much and will always be some of my greatest teachers so I say thanks to my past current and future clients for trusting me with your journey for making me a better nutrition therapist and that concludes this first podcast episode and I'm hoping that you have found this interesting and yeah I feel I hope I don't wake up with the vulnerability hangover when this goes out and we've all been listening to this but here it is anyway a piece of me stay tuned for the next episode that will be there next week thanks again take care thank you for listening to joyful nourishment This podcast is produced solely by me with no financial backing and your support means a lot to keep this project going. If this episode has been helpful in any way, it really helps this podcast to help others if you click like, subscribe or leave a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. And of course, you can also subscribe so that you won't miss any future episodes. Find out more about what I do in my private practice and what I offer over on straightforwardnutrition.com and I am currently taking on new clients so you will find a link to book in for a free 30 minute session in the show notes if this is something you're interested in. And finally, please come and join the Joyful Nourishment community over on Substack by subscribing to my newsletter.